This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Late Boomers. Our guest today is Terry Brown, the author and debut novelist of Sunflowers Beneath the Sun, a novel about the tenacity of the women of Ukraine. Terry's historical fiction novel is very timely, and she's written five other nonfiction books dealing with real estate and finance. She began her writing career helping small businesses create content. She's also a wife, mother, and grandmother. Welcome, Terry. Great to have you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Great. Tell us a little about how you got your start. What or who inspired you to write? Well, you know, it's interesting. When I was a little girl, five or six years old, I said that I wanted to be three things. I wanted to be a brain surgeon, and I wanted to be an Olympic ice skater, and I wanted to be an author. And so I feel like I've done really good to get one of the three. <laughs> yeah, at such an early age. Yeah. Um, but, but what's interesting is, is I, I loved writing as a, as a child. I have all kinds of poems and things that I wrote. None of them are, I mean, you know, they're all little kid kind of poems, but I was always writing and always creating little stories. And I would draw little pictures that would go with them. And my mom saved some of them and uh, gave me one at Christmas time that was on the back of my grandmother's bank deposit slip. So all I can imagine is, is she must've pulled that out of her purse when I wanted to write something and that's what she had. And so it's on the back and it's something about two people in a bed and they put their head to their feet and their feet to their head, stinky feet, something I don't even remember now, but it was a funny little poem. And I had written it on the back of this, this bank deposit slip. Um, then I went Have to you framed it by the way. No, not yet, but I do have it. And I have a couple of other little things and it might be cute to put them like in a shadow box or something. Yeah. Um, and then I have a story from when I was, not yet even in first grade. And when I went to school, you didn't learn to read in kindergarten. You learned to read in first grade. And I remember asking my mom if she would teach me to read. And she told me that I would learn in the first grade. Well, apparently I figured out how to read. And so I started sneaking and I would read up under the covers with a flashlight and one night my mom caught me and I started to cry and I sobbed and I sobbed because I thought I was going to be in trouble because I already knew how to read and I hadn't started first grade. Oh, that's so, so sad. But you didn't get in trouble, I'm sure. No, no, I didn't. But I, as a kid, it was like, you know, oh, I'm not in first grade. They haven't taught me yet. This must not be something I'm supposed to be doing. So I, you know, I hit it. Oh. Well, then, you know, you go through school and life happens and I got married and, um, I have four children and 
I decided to homeschool and um, for like a variety of reasons, none of the none of the normal ones, just because it just needed to be done for my son. And then it just kind of stuck. And there I was. Um, And so writing just was not anything that I did. I just didn't have the time and or the inclination. Um, And then in 2000, I started writing for small businesses because I wanted to be able to still stay at home with my children, but I needed the income. And it was like, well, what could I do from home? So I started writing for small businesses, helping them with website content, um, eBooks, blog post articles, you know, things, you know, their written material, because a lot of people have great ideas but they don't have the ability to get it on paper. And so they'd hand me things and say, this just needs a little bit of an edit. And what it really needed was a complete rewrite because, you know, yeah, the main points were there, but you can't let anyone read that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) They knew an idea. They knew an idea of what the blog should be, but no way to say it. So that's a perfect niche for you. It was, it was exactly what I needed. And I love research. Um, to me, when I'm researching a new topic like that, I almost feel like I'm taking a college class and I loved college. I was, so I came out of college with two majors and two minors. Oh dear. <laughs> and I've never used any of them. <laughs> oh, what were they I by the way? What I wanted, I just, achiever. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I just like to learn. And so I would be doing one thing and realize, well, if I took one more class, I'll have a, a major in that. But if I took two classes, then I could have a major over here, too. And then in all of that, I ended up with these two minors. So I have a, um, a degree in teaching elementary education and then um, psychology. And I have a minor in sociology and a minor in math. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Yeah, Boy, you're, you're, you're you loaded up talented. <laughs> you loaded up on solids while I was trying to fit more theater classes in and music. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. Um, but you know what's well, interesting is, is I've never really used those degrees for any. I mean, I feel like oh, I've yes, used you, them a I lot. You use writing. them when you you're homes- writing, though. You just your knowledge. You homeschooled your kids. What are you talking right. about? That's what right. your degree was in. Yeah, um, I guess but- I should say I don't feel I've ever used my degree in a in in a career. Oh. I just yeah. feel like, you know, they're kind of a periphery. Like even in my writing, I never took any writing classes. I <laughs> took psychology. And yeah, I used the psychology that I learned. It kind of helps me in some of my writing, but not not really directly. You know, you can't yeah. say, well, I'm a psychologist, therefore I'm a writer or that kind of thing. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know what? Your, your mention of research leads me into my next thought. Um, what kind of research do you do? And how long do you spend research, researching before beginning a book? So like for, for my historical fiction, um, I think one of the reasons that I really love the historical fiction genre is because of the research aspect of it. Um, I love creating characters. Uh, it, it comes very naturally to me. I feel really good about getting their personalities and But when it comes to settings and places, I really am not that great at it. So I would be terrible at like science fiction or something where you have to create the whole world because I don't care very much. And I don't even care very much in my own personal life. Like 
Do I have what I need? Good. What, what else do we have to talk about? So I'm not really good at it. So I like the idea that I can do research and I can find out what was going on and what was it like then. And then I just, all I have to do is take that information and put it into words in a way that other people can see it. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's perfect. And then I can put my character that I've created and I have no problem with her and put her right into the story. And then there we, there we are. So, um, yeah. So for research, I guess it kind of depends. Like the book that I just wrote, Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, it's set in Ukraine, 1973. So it's Soviet Ukraine. And then it goes through to about 2016. Um, So I did a lot of research even before that period, trying to understand just the history of Ukraine, and especially the, the history with Russia, then the Soviet Union, and then back to Russia again, because it was it was going to play a major role in the book which is really ironic because it ended shortly after the uh, Russian when they when they went and took Crimea Peninsula. Right. And so now the book is coming out and here they are doing it again. And so it was just like crazy timing because my book came out January 25th and it wasn't but a couple weeks later and they're they're doing it again. Yeah. So what is your connection to Ukraine and how did that come to be the setting for your book? Yes. So it's interesting. I personally do not have any real connection. I've never lived there. I don't speak the language. I've never even visited. But my daughters, uh, two of my three daughters would go to camp every summer, and then they became camp counselors. And in the camp counselor program that they were in, there were always international students that came to. And those international students, they would get the chance, they'd get a three-month visa So they would get the chance to come and work and they would work for about two months of that. And then they would get another month that they could then still travel in the United States before they went home. One of the girls that came in 2013 was from Ukraine. Her name's Ksenia. And my girls got to know her in 2013 and she came back again in 2014. Well, when it was time to leave in August of 2014, Russia had invaded the Crimea Peninsula and that's where her parents lived. Oh. And she was unable to go home. Um, so she stayed an extra three months. They extended her visa, but she was working with a lawyer and she wasn't going to be able to stay any longer. And they wanted to send her to a refugee camp in Poland. Oh. And she she did not want to go because she knew no one and didn't speak the language. Her parents weren't there. It's not like she was going to go join her parents. Um, So she kind of disappeared into New York City, into the Brighton Beach area, Hmm. and continued working with a lawyer. And a couple months later, they finally got it all straightened out, and she was legally allowed to stay in the United States. Um, In 2016, she came back to North Carolina to visit one of my daughters for her birthday. And We were sitting in the office and she was telling me this amazing story of something that happened to her in New York City. And I could not believe what I was hearing. And she has a very strong Ukrainian accent. And I thought, I'm I'm not there's a communication problem here because what she's saying is just not believable. So I started asking her all kinds of questions. And lo and behold, 
what was not believable was actually the truth. And I said, that needs to have a book. So I wrote an entire book of 80,000 words of fiction. So I could tell that little tiny sliver of a story. And because she's from Ukraine, that's where those characters had to be from. What a great story. Like they say, it's a cliche, but truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah. So what's really interesting is, is I got a Kirkus review and it was a good Kirkus review. I'm really excited about it, but it, they talked about that, the ending. And they said that, let's say that uh, there was a great deal of improbability in that portion of the tale. And it makes me laugh because it's the only portion of the tale that's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, dear. Well, now how, that book didn't take you very long to write, did it? I wrote it in like everyone is just goes crazy when they hear this. I wrote the bulk of the book in two weeks. <gasps> Oh, oh, no, I never wrote 50,000 well, that... words in two weeks. Oh, you my just goodness. channeled be it. Great for NaNoWriMo. <laughs> so what you happened is, is I, I had been thinking about it for two years. I didn't write it immediately. I, I didn't. I wasn't in a space that that I felt like I could write. Um, but I had been given an opportunity to go to a writer's retreat. And there's nothing that goes on in this retreat other than you have space to write. So you cook your own meals, you share a kitchen with three other writers, and you're given space in this gorgeous mansion that sits on several hundred acres. Where is it? It's in North Carolina. It's in Southern Pines, North Carolina. It's called uh, Weymouth Writers in Residence. Um, Ah. And while I was there, I just wrote. I wrote probably eight to 10 hours a day. And I just wrote and I wrote and I wrote until 50,000 words were out. The story had was from the, the beginning to the end with 50,000 words. Now, in the end, it's an 82,000 word book. So, mm-hmm. of course, I did go back and I did a lot of editing. But the bulk of that book was written in two weeks. Amazing. Um, what about your nonfiction books? Are those equally um, speedy in your writing? Yeah, well, I usually get them done in three months ish. Hmm. Um, I don't find them as difficult. You do a a lot of research to begin with. Then I kind of create a very detailed outline. And I think about questions. Most of my books are more of a self-help variety. So, and they have a, where do you need to start and where are you trying to get to? And so I just think about the different steps. I put them into, you know, my little formula and it's like, okay, this and this and this. And then I start asking questions. If I didn't know anything about this, what would I want to know? Yeah. What's your favorite? And I do more research and I just write the answers out. What's your favorite nonfiction book that you've written? Homestaging. Um, so homestaging, I don't know if everyone knows what that is, but it's when you're trying to sell your house and you make it look like it's for sale instead of like you're living in it. And so yeah. um, I talked the, the fun part about that one. I think why I liked it so much was it was a collaborative. I talked with more than a dozen homestage experts and asked them for their tips and they sent in photos and we had interviews. And so I used a lot of their specific, like if they gave me a good quote, that's in the book and it's, you know, attributed to them. And I think why I really liked that book, first of all, I thought that the topic was really cool. 
Um, in fact, I actually considered being a home stager for a while after writing that because it was like, oh, that just sounds so fun to me to get in there and help people see what does your home, you know, how you live in it and how you sell it are two different things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to go in and help them see what they needed to change to make it, you know, sell quickly. Um, and then I think because it was collaborative and I really enjoy working with other people. And most of the time when I'm writing, I don't get that chance. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. Great. You know, it's interesting though, because um, living in, in Los Angeles as we do um, you don't, but Kathy and I do. And there's so many homes for sale here. And a lot of people just buy the furniture from the people who (laughs) stage them. Yeah, so, they move that in happens a and, lot. and put the furniture as part of the deal. I'll buy it from the stager because it yeah. makes the house look so beautiful. Yeah. And then and then what's funny is, is they get in it and there's not enough furniture for how you really live and you end up putting more in and then it doesn't look like it did anymore. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. So what advice do you give to aspiring writers? I have three pieces of advice. Ooh. And I, Yeah. And they go in a particular order. And the first one is right. Just do it. Don't let something stop you. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let the idea that you don't have enough education stop you. Don't let the idea that, well, I'm not really that good stop you. If you want to write, the only way to get good at it is to write. You're not going to get good at writing by thinking about it. And you're not going to get good at writing even by taking a class unless you actually take what you've learned in that class and you write. Um, It's kind of like expecting a painter um, to paint the first time and say this is a masterpiece and everyone should buy it. I mean, more than likely, they've painted over that thing several times before they finally have something that they'd be willing to show to someone. So write. So that's number one. And number two is once you've written and you've gotten to the point that you are comfortable with what you've written, show it to someone you trust who not only will tell you you've done a good job and pat you on the back, which we all need, but who will also be honest with you and give you some ideas as to what might be missing or what you could do to strengthen the piece or what they found that maybe moved a little slowly or maybe a place even that moved too quickly. Boy, I wish I had gotten to know more about, you know, this character and, and take that advice and try to do something with it. Don't get yourself all tied up in knots that they didn't love every word that you wrote. You need to be able to listen to advice. And then the third thing that I tell people almost sounds like I'm going contradicting the second piece, which is don't listen to everybody. Because the truth is, is that there's more than one way to write. Not every person is going to love your book and not every person's advice will work for you. So if someone gives you a piece of advice, go ahead and try it. But if it just doesn't feel right for you, it just isn't working, it's okay to think, hmm, I gave it a shot and put that to the side. It's perfectly okay. I would love to add one more to that, which is fantastic, which is remember that everybody has a voice and every voice is different and every voice is unique. So trust. No, I agree. I agree. And I think that kind of goes with that idea that, that, you know, we're not, not every book is for every person 
And there's obviously more than one way to write, or there would be one style book out there, and that's all there would be. And the truth is, is that, you know, there are millions of books written every year, and they're not all the same. And isn't that fantastic? That means that everybody has something out there that that appeals to them in some way. So, And all of us who are in reading groups, of which I have two and Mary and I are in one together, we all know from discussing a book that half the people maybe didn't like it and they had a real beef with the descriptions and the other half are going, oh my God, those characters were perfectly drawn. That is exactly how they should be. And half the people are going, I didn't get her at all. And it's like, yeah, right. so, so what? The, the, the book that, that that's been happening to, I've in, in two different book clubs and both book clubs have read A Gentleman in Moscow. Oh, yes. I loved that book. Me too. Loved it. My really dear friend who reads so many books that I wonder how she gets anything else done. I have never seen anyone consume books like she does. Hated it. See, that's me and my daughter. My daughter, I will read everything she recommends because she's quite a reader and she's really very articulate herself. But she doesn't write. And she doesn't like Gentlemen in Moscow. And it's one of my favorite books on the planet. Really? And she loves the, the Lincoln Highway, the second one by that same author. See, and it's interesting. Everyone that I know that loved Gentlemen in Moscow is not terribly thrilled with Lincoln Highway. Right. Exactly. exactly. Completely flipped genres. So, but, but what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything other than there's different styles of writing. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that it's a bad book. It just no, means that your daughter books. didn't care for it because it doesn't meet whatever it is she needs out of a book. And that's perfectly acceptable. So I guess if I were going to give another piece of advice, it would be once you've put your book out there, you're going to have to grow a little bit of a thick skin because mm -hmm. you're going to have people say things to you and you're not going to be able to go... I can't believe you didn't love my book. <laughs> <laughs> you're not even going to get that opportunity. Are. You never hmm? get, you're not going to get that opportunity either because you're not really going right. to directly inter interface with them unless they're putting it right on your Instagram or something. But I'm also well, sure that, that when you look at a book you've already written, you'll see parts of it and think, oh, I could have done that better. Yeah. And, you know, the, the truth is, is that let's hope so. Let's hope that the next book you write is better than the first book you wrote and that the third book is better than the second and on and on and on. Otherwise, you're not getting better. That would be terrible. I mean, I hope that every book I write is better than the last book I wrote. You Great. know, that's wouldn't that be the goal to keep yeah. getting better at your craft? Right. So I agree. Uh, now, we hear that you and your husband bicycled across the entire United States. So we yes. want to hear how that came to be, what it was like, what was the route, how long did it take? Tell us the whole thing. Oh, I love that. I love okay, it, too. So we started in Astoria, Oregon, or really right outside of Astoria. We went to the Pacific Ocean and put the rear wheel of the tandem bicycle. So we were on one bicycle, two seats, put it in the the. Pacific Ocean, because, you know, somehow you have to start right there. And then we rode all the way to Washington, D.C. It was 3,102 miles, 72 riding days, and I think 92 days actually out on the road because we're not spring chickens and we had to take breaks. There's just no way to ride every single day, although some people do. 
Some people just haul straight across, but that is going to happen. What was the route? So we went from Astoria. We went down the um, the Columbia River Gorge. We went up into Washington State over the Panhandle of Idaho. Then we went, and that took us into Montana. Then we went north and got on US 2 and rode 2 the whole way across the United States up into Michigan. So, I mean, all the way across, we were just real close to Canada the whole way across. Then we went down Michigan and into Ohio and then into Pennsylvania and then down into Maryland and then to D.C. You could put together a travel book on that. Yeah, it was. I, I actually have a book planned about life lessons that I learned while on this trip. That'll be fun. Because this is a little more about me. Um, I I was married. I had four children. Um, my children's father is a nice person, but we were not a good match. Uh, nothing. There was no middle ground. We were so far apart that when we got to a middle ground, neither one of us was happy. It just, it just wasn't, it just, it wasn't going to work. So we separated and I remarried and I made a bad, bad choice and married a man who was emotionally abusive. Mm. And I lived with that for 14 years because I was not going to be divorced again. And at the end of 14 years of living in an emotionally abusive relationship, you don't have much of yourself left. And I didn't believe in myself anymore. In fact, when I was told this story in 2016, I knew it needed to be written, but I couldn't have written it. I mean, I didn't believe I could even write fiction. I had been told just because you write nonfiction doesn't mean you can write fiction. And I believed it. And in 2017, an event happened and I left. I said, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. And I left. And that's when I started writing fiction. Um, Then I met my now husband. Crazy. I was never getting married again because obviously I didn't do it well and, you know, had no intention of ever being in a relationship. And he tells everyone that that uh, he chased me until I caught him. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, and while we were dating, he said, hey, I have a tandem bike. Would you like to go on a tandem bicycle ride? Well, you know, to me, that just sounds romantic, right? So sure, let's go on this tandem bicycle ride. Well, I had not been on a bicycle in 40 years. (laughs) So, you know, I didn't know what I was doing anymore. And, you know, the, the fact that we didn't fall and break ourselves is really amazing. But he's very athletic. And he'd been riding bicycles since he was, you know, in middle school. And so, off we go on this this little tandem ride. Well, shortly after that, he starts telling me that ever since 1976, he's wanted to ride across the United States on a tandem bicycle or on a bicycle. And I, ever since getting out of that really bad relationship, had wanted some kind of big adventure because I wanted to, I needed to prove to myself that I still had the ability to do something big and bold. And I felt like everybody saw me as, I don't know, like not capable maybe, or, or, and I don't even know that anyone saw me that way, but I felt like that's the way people were seeing me. And it's probably Mm -hmm. because that's the way I was seeing myself. Um, So I said to him, and we were only dating at the time. I said, so 
is this something that you're going to do or you're going to think about and on your deathbed, you're still going to wish you had done it? And he said, no, I really want to do it. I said, count me in. So we started training. We got married in 2019. And then in the summer of 2020, we took the trip. So COVID summer. Yeah. We're out riding the tandem bicycle across the United States. So what's interesting is, is that I'm not the same person I was when I left. I left on that trip. I still had a lot of insecurities. I had a lot of stuff that I called swamp gas that would kind of bubble up that, you know, he would say something and, and immediately I, all my defenses would get, you know, and I was all ready to, to like protect myself. And I didn't need to because that's not who he is, but, you know, all the old stuff was coming up. And so going on this trip, you know, it was hard. I bet. Survival. Yeah, it took a lot to do to do this, especially for someone like me. I mean, I call myself a desk jockey. I mean, this is what I do. I sit here at the computer and, and, you know, I don't go out and do this kind of thing. I walk on the beach and, you know, I like to swim, but I mean, I'm not athletic, right? I'm active, but I'm not athletic. And so to go on this trip was huge for me. And I kept a blog the whole way across, and I was completely honest in the blog. I I told everything, every horrible feeling that I had, every time it was difficult, every time that I cried. I mean, it's all laid out there because I read blogs beforehand, and they all lied. Mm -hmm. There wasn't anybody who was honest about how hard it was. It was hard. It was horrible. How many miles a day did you go? (laughs) How many miles a day did you go? Um, so we averaged 42 miles a day, but some days we, one day we went as many as 90 miles. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of depend, you know, depended a lot on the terrain and the weather and where the next possible stop was, because sometimes you would look and you could stop at 22 miles and then the next possible stop might not be another till like you're at 74 miles. And so on that day, you just stopped short because you didn't want to do 74. It was better to do 22 and then maybe another 50 the next day instead of that big, long thing. So, yeah, um, yeah. so I just I learned a lot about myself. I became very strong. I recognized that I could do absolutely anything I set my mind to. Um, In fact, now when people say to me, you know, can you do and then, you know, name something? My answer is, yes, I can. Now ask me if I want to. Ah, <laughs> great because life that's a lesson. Different question. Yeah. I love that. That's a good one for your book for life lessons. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I love it. I'm because, looking forward to reading that do one. It? Yeah. Can I do it? Yeah, I can do it. I can do anything. I mean, absolutely anything. Mm. I might not want to. And that's okay, too. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, tell our listeners a little about your novel, Sunflowers Beneath Snow. and But don't give away any plot points. Okay. All right. So it is about three generations of Ukrainian women. Uh, it starts with the, the grandmother and her husband. He is a Ukrainian rebel and he gets caught and has to be whisked out of the country and he leaves his wife and daughter behind. And that happens very quickly in the very beginning of the story. And from that point on, you watch how this woman and her daughter survive in Soviet Ukraine. Ooh. And as they grow, the daughter marries 
and has a child. And so now you see the three generations of these women and the, and the differences between them. And the, the grandmother um, is very much a, a Soviet patriot. And she is just going to follow along whatever the party says. And her daughter has more of a rebellious spirit, more like her father had been. And the granddaughter, by the time she comes along, she's born right at the time that, that the Soviet, that Ukraine leaves the Soviet Union. And so by the time she has any really good, strong memories, she's always been free. And she doesn't even understand what the fuss is about. So she kind of has this whole nonchalant attitude. And when her dad's, you know, throwing his arms up about something that's going on, she's rolling her eyes and calling him old fashioned. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of those three ideas and, and getting through, uh, through every, just through life. And so we follow them as they go through life. And then, like I said, at the end is this really cool twist that it's the reason that I wrote the story. And you're uh -huh. just going to have to read it to know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Have, have any of your friends in the Ukraine read it yet? So the girl that the granddaughter is loosely based on that told me that little sliver of story, she has read it and she is really excited about it. Before I let her read it, I said, now I want you to understand that the little sliver is yours and anything else that has, so that's Iona in the story. And I said, anybody, anything else about her is not you. It's just made up in my head. I used your little sliver of story because sometimes, you know, when you're writing a character, you have to make sure they're very three-dimensional. So you have to make sure that they've got these flaws and that they do and say things that, and I didn't want her to think that's what I thought she was because it isn't her. It's just very, very loosely based on her. So, and she was like, no, 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 I'll be fine. And it was like, okay, I just wanted to understand. Um, yeah. But what's interesting is, is once she's never been back home. So she's here in the United States. She came when she was 19, thinking she was coming for the summer, and she's never been able to go home because her parents live in the Crimea Peninsula, which has been controlled by Russia ever since. Yeah. And although legally, she could go home. Her parents are afraid for her to come because they're afraid she might not be allowed back out. Probably Especially wouldn't. now. And now, oh, yeah, of course, not it's now. not even. A, yeah. And so when when Russia invaded this time, oh, I was crushed. I mean, completely as though somehow I mean, these are my people. I wrote about them. I spent time with them. I, you know, I've got characters that I know, you know, and so it was really very crushing to me. And of course, very crushing to her at a very different kind of level. And I've been watching her uh, social media posts and, oh, so sad. She, she goes back and forth between just horrible sadness and incredible anger, just livid anger. And when she sees something atrocious that's happened there, the pictures and the things that she'll say on her Facebook almost make me feel a little, almost like you're, you want to say, Oh, don't, Oh, don't say that because it's, it's so raw. Yeah. You know, she, she has, this is her home. And these are her family and her friends. And it, yeah, it, it's very raw. It's very raw. So yeah. she contacted me about three weeks ago and she said, I've gotten together a group of people who are artists and they're going to start contributing part of their profits 
you know, to it's it's called um, Come Back Alive. It's a Ukraine foundation called Come Back Alive that was founded in 2014. Um, and she knows that it's a, you know, it's a real one. She's sure that the money's going where it's supposed to go. And I said, well, that's great, Xenia. What do you need from me? And she said, we need your book. Oh, and so I'm donating money for every book sale to this Beautiful. fund. And so far, I think I'm up to, I started doing it a couple of weeks ago. I think I've got $198 so far that I'm putting towards the, the fund. And then yeah. my daughter's making t-shirts. So she has sunflower t-shirts and she's donating 25% of the t-shirt sale to this fund. And then I have another daughter who is making uh, tiles that she's painted sunflowers on. And so, and then Xenia has other friends that are selling jewelry and different things. And all of that money then is going to this fund. Oh, so. that's beautiful. And you've received some extremely favorable reviews on your book. So yeah, I hope I our listeners will check it out. What, what do you think's your favorite review? Or what's a little favorite quote? Do you have anything handy? Well, so, okay. So the very, very favorite thing is something that, it's not going to sound like it should be like, it should be some, one of these big things like the Kirkus review or, or something. And what it actually is, is I have a three-year-old granddaughter who I took into a local bookstore and I had her on my hip and they had a couple copies of my book and I wanted to see it in there. You know, there's just something about seeing your book in the bookshelf. Right. And so I walked over to it and she looked up and she went, oh. That's Sunflowers Beneath the Snow by Terry M. Brown. That's my Gigi. Oh. Who needs oh. anything else? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh, That's beautiful. You. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I have it on my to-read list. We didn't. Well, I recommend you we get didn't to book it right you far away. enough out. Everyone tells me you can't put it down once you get started. I will. That's do it wonderful. Next. I have to get it too. Absolutely. I'm excited to read it. It sounds wonderful. And I'm a historical fiction nut, so I will love it. And I love the idea of going back generations. So all well, of our I listeners. Really like generational idea. In fact, I have another book that. Um, pretty much ready it needs it needs a good edit still and it'll be the next one out it's called an enemy like me and uh -huh. it is a world war ii backdrop but it's really not so much about the war as much as it is very loosely based on my grandfather he told me something when i was a little girl he fought in world war ii in germany were of german descent many generations in the united states but still of german descent and he said how strange it was that the enemy was someone who could have been a cousin. Oh. Mm -hmm. And so he said that to me and I was maybe a teenager and it just stuck with me for years. Like I've always remembered that comment. And so this book kind of explores that whole idea. So I made my character a first generation American mm. and he's German American and he thinks he's going to go fight the Japanese and he ends up in Germany oh, instead. Oh, and he has this realization that the people who are on the other side shooting at him and he are no different. And that right. in any other circumstance, they'd probably be having dinner together. It mm -hmm. Sounds and like so what's happening kind of, in the Ukraine right now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so that we're kind of exploring that concept of the fact that, you know, governments start wars and everyday people fight them. 
And what does that do to everyday people? And we see this from his viewpoint, from his wife's viewpoint, and from his four-year-old son's viewpoint. I love that. Thank you so much, Terry. Our guest today on Late Boomers has been Terry Brown, author of the new novel, Sunflowers Beneath the Snow. Please, everyone, pick it up. It sounds wonderful. You'll love it. And please visit her website, terrymbrown.com. That's T-E-R-I-M Brown. And reader reviews and reader book. Thanks again, Terry. Thank you. And we remind our listeners also to follow us on Instagram at Late Boomers and each of us individually at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins. You can write to us on our website, lateboomers.biz, B-I-Z, and we hope we have inspired, informed, and entertained you. Thanks again, Terry. Thank you so much. I had a wonderful time. for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.